Good morning, everyone. Great to have you here today. We start the fall with a new series. It's called It's Supernatural. McLean's recently devoted a cover story to what they call the new worry epidemic. And the byline is how a natural impulse, that is to worry, has grown into a modern scourge that's having devastating effects on our jobs, health, and children. And they asked the question, what to do about a modern curse? And they mention a number of things that people are worried about. Uh, I've never heard of this before, but uh, they call it frost quakes. Has anybody heard of that? Something to do with the winter, frost quakes. It sounds like a, a, a cereal, doesn't it? A breakfast cereal. But it's some, <laughs> something to do with winter. Uh, polar vortexes and... Um, they, they talk about how climate change is a huge concern for people. Uh, people are worrying more and more. In fact, we, we're seeing children now struggling with worries. And in fact, children are going to see psychologists. I think that uh, I, hadn't, I haven't seen this myself, but apparently on Modern Family, there was an episode where, where one of the children is going to see a psychologist or psychiatrist because uh, of the worries that the child is dealing with. They, myth, they mention a whole long list of things that people worry about. Uh, here's something that's maybe a little bit more mundane, maybe not as, as maybe serious as you might think, but they, they list grilled and smoked meats as a thing to worry about. And here's what they say. They say that, that, the, uh, that when you cook these things, the effect is that it would possibly cause cancer. So if anybody's going home to barbecue today, uh, maybe you might want to eat your meat raw. And you won't get cancer, but you might get worms. I don't know. (laughs) But everyone has her own worry list, things that they're concerned about. And so here's some of the things that they've got on the list of things that that people are constantly worrying about. Um, People are worrying about uh, vaccines. Parents with young children are worried about vaccinating their children. And uh, bioterrorism, uh, your kid passing his finals, also cyber terrorism. We saw that recently with um, uh, Ashley Madison and uh, how there have been a number of people committing suicide on, along that line. They mentioned gray hair as something that causes great fear. I know it does for me. Um, someone asked me, do you dye all your hair but just leave your temples silver? Only my hairdresser knows for sure. I don't. Uh, there's people who are worried about drivers who text. Anybody worried about that? Talk about stock market collapse, job loss, gluten. I don't know anybody who lays awake at night worrying about gluten. But uh, definitely massive debt, retirement. Uh, that guy competing for your job, your RSP, E. coli, and packaged salad. That keeps me awake at night. And of course, uh, <laughs> of course, the, the, the latest is this new Syrian refugee problem. Has, has anybody seen that? It's interesting that uh, Saudi Arabia, I think they've got some 100,000 air-conditioned tents, but they're not offering, they only use one week a year. They're not offering it to any of the refugees from Syria. But they are, in their kindness, offering to build 200 new mosques in Germany. Isn't that generous? Yeah, that's right. 
We, we, we got all kinds of things going on in this world that are crazy and could cause great fear and concern for many, many people. The clinical uh, psychologist Daniel Peters says that worrying has now become rampant and that worrying has actually replaced thinking. He says that, that like a virus, worry literally begets more worry, and not just in the individual, but in other people around you as well. So here's the thing, folks. Christians, like everybody else, like the unbeliever, are just as susceptible to these, this modern-day scourge of worry and anxiety. The question is this, is what do you do with your worry? What do you do with the things that maybe cause anxiety for you? And how can we face this life when there's so much to worry about? I want to remind everybody today that the Christian faith is a faith that zeroes in on and recognizes the supernaturalness of God. We admit and we confess and we declare to the world that whatever is happening in this world, whatever is happening around us, there is somebody who is on our side. And it's God. And you're going to see that in just a moment. But you and I do not go through this life in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power. We have an advocate. We have somebody who's speaking up for us, somebody who is praying for us, somebody who cares about us. And so for the next few weeks, we'll be focusing on the supernatural work and help of God. Would you take a look at this passage of scriptures from Romans chapter 18, Romans chapter 18, 31 to 32. And Paul says this, he says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Now, I got to stop right there because that question doesn't make sense unless you know the verses that precede it. And so I want to remind everybody here today, I think to recommend this, I don't have time to read all of Romans chapter 8, but I would recommend to you that if you are struggling with anxiety or fear, if you're struggling in your walk with God right now, if you are worrying about whether or not God still loves you because maybe you've sinned and you've maybe fallen short and you haven't done what you want to do and you, what you know you should do and you're feeling guilty, I want you to read Romans chapter 8. If I were a doctor today, this would be my prescription to you. Go home and read Romans chapter 8. In fact, read it a few times and let the Spirit of God deal with you. But here's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8. If you're a believer today, if you're a Christian, then the Bible says that you are, in fact, a child of God. You have been given the privilege and the right to cry out to God, Abba, Father. He's your God. He's your Father. He cares about you. But more than that, the Bible makes it clear that you and I are more than conquerors. We are victorious through Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is saying is, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Considering all the wonderful things that God has done for you and how much God loves you and cares about you, what shall we say about these things? Well, here's what we should say. And maybe you could read that with me. If God is for us, read it. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Did you see that? All, not some of us. He gave up his son for all of us. Won't he also give us everything else? Now, what I'd like to do this morning 
It's because I know that every one of us is things that you know, maybe we are tempted to, to, to worry about or to be anxious about. In fact, you may have come here this morning anxious about something or some things. You and I need to understand today that God loves us and God knows about your situation and God wants to help you through whatever it is that you're going through or struggling with you. God has not forgotten about you. And we know this based on his track record. And can I just say this? God has an excellent track record. How many know that today? One of the things that Glory and I have tried to do raising our kids is we've tried to be consistent in the way that we have cared for our kids and the way that we have provided for them so that they never, ever have to worry about anything. And I think that they're pretty, pretty much worry-free. Here's the thing. We have, set, we have set for ourselves a good track record for our kids so that our kids trust us. And when we say that we're going to take care of it, when we say that we're going to do something, they know that they can go to the bank on that. They know that they can depend on their parents. Guess what? God calls himself a father, and he has established a great track record as well. This is why, folks, are you ready for this? Why it is so absolutely critical that you read your Bible. It's critical that you know what your Bible says so that you can read about God's track record. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is I just want to look at four people from the Old Testament. The fact of the matter is, is I could literally look at hundreds of people from the Old Testament who report on the faithfulness of God. If you're here today and you're worried and you're concerned about your life, about your marriage, about your kids, maybe you've got kids that aren't serving God, you're worried about their future, uh, maybe you're worried about your health, your finances, your job, whatever. I pray that by the end of the service today, after you've heard the word of God, that your faith will rise and you'll find yourself trusting in God like you've never trusted him before. In fact, that's what I'm hoping will happen over the next number of weeks as we talk about the supernatural involvement of God in our lives. So let's just take a quick look at what supernatural means. The word super simply means um, above or beyond. Uh, Superman comes to mind. We're talking about something that is beyond the natural. And of course, natural means nature. So that which would be, that's what we would call the natural laws or what is common or what is known to us all. So here's the, here's the uh, definition, the, di- the dictionary definition. Speaking of a manifestation, when we talk about the supernatural, we're talking about or speaking of a m- manifestation or event attributed to some force That's beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. How many understand today that Christianity is all about the supernatural God of the universe at work in this natural world? I'm going to tell you right now that if this Christianity, this faith of ours, did not have that supernatural aspect, that supernatural component, where God moves in and does miracles and transforms lives and helps us in our need, then the question is this, why bother? It's just a philosophical system with lots of rules and regulations. But we're talking, folks, about a relationship with Almighty God whereby God gets involved in our lives. And helps us through whatever it is that we're going through. And again, my prayer this morning is that you would recognize that God has not abandoned you. He's not forgotten about you. He knows your situation. He knows the difficulties and the struggles that you have with your children, in your marriage, at work, whatever. God has not forgotten about you. In fact, God is there and he wants to help you through. And I can prove it to you. 
So here's the thing that we discover as we pick up the Bible and begin to read it. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of recorded history, the evidence abounds that humans have always been aware of God and the supernatural. Now, here in North America, uh, you know, I've I've heard this so many people, so many people say this, in North America, you don't need God because everybody's got whatever they want. And if you don't have what you want, well, then you just, you just, you know, contact the government and they'll provide you with whatever it is that you need or want. But if you go to a third world country, I'm going to tell you, it's a very different approach to life where you are dependent on something or someone supernatural to help you. In North America, you know, it's a, there's a mixed blessing here. On the one hand, it's wonderful to live here because there's a freedom, because of the safety, because of the provision. If you can't make ends meet, you can go on welfare, and you're, you're taken care of. You go to a third-world country, and man, if God didn't step in and do a miracle, then you, you won't eat. And we saw this when we were in Burundi last time uh, we were there, a family, a young family that was malnutrition because, well, they just didn't have the money and the father was squandering all the money on alcohol. And this family, this, these kids praying, saying, God, if you're there, help us. And God supernaturally touches the hearts of some of the people on the team. Sally, you'll remember this. And God moves on our hearts to provide for that family. And uh, that family has got our help. God moved in supernaturally. I'm going to tell you, God's still in the business of answering prayers. And some of us here today have maybe forgotten that. So let's take a look at the ways that God has been involved in the lives of his people. The first person I want to look to is Abraham. Now, Abraham was tested uh, constantly regarding his faith. God looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, you're the man that I want to be the father of all my people. And so God calls out Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, leave your city, leave everything behind, your belong, leave it all behind, your house, your property, and I want you to go to the place that I'm telling you to go to. And, God, and Abraham says, okay, God, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. And can you imagine Abraham saying, hey, Sarah, guess what? We're moving. And she says, where are we going? And Abraham says, uh, I'm not sure, but we're going. Now, what do you think? Do you think that Sarah was excited about this move? She said, I guess she said, okay, dear, we'll go wherever you want to go. There's another crazy move by Abraham, but here we go. And away it goes. And we find Abraham along the way being tested. And finally, one day, God says to Abraham, Abraham, your wife is going to have a child. And Abraham says, well, I think that's pretty much impossible at this point. My wife's 100 years old. And, and God's saying, uh, no, she's going to have a baby. In fact, it was so ridiculous that the Bible says that Sarah laughed. In fact, that's what Isaac, Isaac's name means. Abraham's first child, his name means laughter because his mother laughed at the idea, at the ludicrous idea that a woman who's 100 years old could give birth to a baby. Now, here's the thing, folks. It's supernatural. And what so many of us forget is that God is still in the business of doing miracles in the lives of his people, especially those people who say, God, I want to do your will. I want to fall in line with your plan for my life. And so Abraham gets the promise from God, and Sarah does have a baby. 
and Isaac begins to grow up. And then finally, God says, you know what? I'm going to test Abraham again to see if he really trusts me. And so he says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your firstborn son. And Abraham says, it's not just my firstborn son. It's my only son. And God says, just do it. Are you willing to give your one and only son? And you know the story. Abraham goes before God and says, okay, I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. Now, listen to this, folks. This is a critical point. If you're going to experience and know the supernatural work in your life, math, then you've got to understand that you've got to trust God and do what he says. Because that is what faith is. It's believing God and doing what he says. That's what faith is. And so here's what Abraham does. He takes his son. His son says, Dad, I know we're going to do a sacrifice, but what are we going to sacrifice? We don't have anything with us. And then, of course, Abraham takes his son and puts him on the, on the altar to sacrifice him, and God stays his hand. And he says, now, Abraham, I know that you are willing to give your one and only son. I know that you are the one worthy to be the father of my people. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart here, because here's Abraham willing to give his one and only son He becomes a father of the people who look to a God who gave his one and only son. We see in that Old Testament story of Abraham a shadow of what's to come from God himself who is willing to give his one and only son. And that's what we read about. Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You see, folks, this passage of Scripture that we just read is the theme of the whole Scripture. God wants to provide for you. He wants to meet your every need. And we know it based on the fact that God was willing to give his only son. And so here's what Abraham says in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. Abraham named the place where he was about to sacrifice his son. He named it Jeho- Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And this is, this is what it says in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so we recognize at the very beginning of God's interaction with humankind, we discover that God is a God who provides. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart today, because some of you are sitting here today, and you are worried, you are concerned, you are fearful, you wonder, will God ever get me through this difficulty that I'm going through? And I want you to know today that God says, yes, you will overcome God will meet your need. God will carry you through. You will be healed. You will be whole. Your needs will be met. Your child will be okay. Your marriage will be all right. But you've got to do what Abraham did. You've got to be prepared to say, God, I'm going to trust that you are the supernatural God who is still in the business of caring for his people. Then we get to Moses, who's led the children of Israel Hundred year, couple, number of hundred years later, Moses leading his people of Israel. You know the story. If you've seen the Ten Commandments, it was Moses who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was Moses who led them through the wilderness. 
It was Moses who led these children of Israel for 40 years in the desert. And look at this, folks. While they're in the desert, their shoes don't wear out. No, that's some shoe. Their clothes don't wear out. Where do you get clothes like that? Not at Old Navy. Their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out, and the Bible says, even more than that, that God provided them with supernatural food from heaven. We call it what? Manna. And here's what Moses says at the end of his leadership, as he's ready to hand the leadership over to Joshua. He says, for the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. Because some of you are concerned about your future. You're concerned about money. You're concerned about retirement, whatever. Listen to this. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Alan belongs to the Lord. Matt, you belong to the Lord. Jacob is a special position, possession. Alan is a special possession. Lyle is a special possession. Lyle, who, whose birthday it is today. That's my dad. Happy birthday, dad. <laughs> Paid come to church, didn't it? <laughs> Listen to this, verse 10 of Deuteronomy 32. God found them in a desert land. That's, that's you and me. Found them in a desert land, in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. Folks, listen to me. The Spirit of God has not forgotten about you. He's still in the business of helping you and providing for you and meeting your needs and getting you through whatever it is that you're going through. You say, Pastor Allen, I feel like I'm going through a wasteland. I feel like I'm going through the desert. I don't know if I can make it. And I'm here today to tell you, yes, you can. Because I know that I know my God, I know his track record, and I know that he has never let me down once, and I know he'll never let you down. And then we get to Hannah, who couldn't have children, and she is distraught. The Bible says she was in, at the temple praying, and the priest was watching her praying before God, and she looked, he, actually he thought she was drunk. In fact, he scolded her. He said, when, when are you going to stop drinking, woman? She's like, I'm not drinking. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely brokenhearted. I've been praying for children, and I can't have children. And here's what you got to know. This poor woman, because she's barren and can't have children, it's not that she just aches to hold a baby. Folks, people have come to the conclusion that she must be an evil woman and that it's God's judgment on her life. And she's being ridiculed and devastated by the people who know her. But she comes before God, and the priest at the time when he recognizes how genuine Hannah is, says, go, God has answered your prayer. And in fact, God does answer her prayer. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 2. Then Hannah prayed after the baby was born, my heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. But my prayer today when you leave here is that you'll be able to say in faith, the Lord has made me strong. She says, now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. If faith is not flowing through you right now, you're not paying attention. The Spirit of God is at work here today and wants to help you through whatever it is that you're going through, whatever struggle that you're facing. God does not want you to face it alone. 
And then we go back, go forward another maybe 100 years, and we find David. Now, how many know David? King David, the most famous king in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart. We read the very first psalm, Psalm chapter 1, and David describes the righteous man as a man who's planted like a tree planted by springs of water. And he says that, that whatever that man does, it prospers. His leaf will not wither. And he's growing strong. And on, his, on the law of God, he meditates day and night. But then you fast forward to Psalm 51. And the one who, in Psalm 1 who, who is meditating on the law day and night, by the time we get to Psalm 51, he's not meditating on the law day and night. Now he is grieving over his sin day and night. He is racked with great guilt, and he is confessing his sin before God. Maybe that's you today. You're, you're feeling guilty for your sin, and you feel, God, can God ever forgive me? Can God ever embrace me? Can God ever accept me? And I'm here to tell you today that God, not only can God accept you, and not only can God forgive you, but God has not forgotten about you. And so that by the time we get to Psalm 92, Psalm 1 starts out great, meditating on the law day and night. Psalm 51, now he's... He's not meditating on the law. Now he's grieving over his sin because he's failed God so many times. But by the time we get to Psalm 92, the tune has changed again. Now it's full of grace. Listen to this. David says, you thrill me, Lord. With all you've done for me, I sing for joy because of what you have done. Oh, Lord, what great works you do. And how deep are your thoughts. Listen to this. I love this. Only a simpleton would not know, and only a fool would not understand this. This is the God of the Old Testament. And then we move forward to the God of the New Testament, we find he's the same God. How many know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? God is for us. God is on your side, and he has proved it by not sparing his own son. Listen, listen to this, watch this. God has made a promise, and then he has given his son as collateral that he's going to keep his promise. Let me, let me explain that to you. Back in the 70s, my dad had a company, a plumbing company. And I don't remember all the details, but one of the things that sticks out in my mind is the discussion about whether or not my dad should put the house up as collateral for the business. And I think that that... Most people, if you've done, been in business or you've got a mortgage or if you've ever taken a loan, you understand what, what I'm talking about when we talk about putting up your house as collateral. In other words, what the bank is saying is we want you to make a promise that you're going to repay this loan. Do you make that promise? And my dad said, yes, I make the promise. I will repay that money. And the bank says, good. Now, here's what we want you to do. We want you now to put up your house as collateral. So not only do we want to promise that you're going to repay the debt, but we want you to give us your house in case you don't. Now, folks, this is exactly what happens with God. God gives us a promise. What's the promise? He will, not, he will give us everything that we need. He will provide for us. God will be there for us. He will bring you through whatever that you're going through. And then he says, and to, to back up my promise, I'm offering my own son as collateral. Now, look at this. God doesn't just promise to give the son. He actually gives his son. 
And so here's what you need to understand about this gospel, this, the gospel of Christianity, is that Jesus Christ is the sign or the pledge that the promises that God has made is backed up by Jesus Christ himself. The fact is, folks, is you can go to the bank on this. And you've been praying, and you've been bringing things before God, and you've been concerned, and you've been worried, and you've been uptight and anxious, and God's saying, look, stop being anxious, stop worrying. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. But the sad thing is, is that so often we don't. We take matters into our own hands. Where God is saying, you don't need to worry. Would you say this with me? Everybody repeat this with me. I don't need to worry about anything. Okay, you, 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 it feels good to say that. I'll say it again. I don't need to worry about anything. Okay, now let's get it from here to here. And the best way to do that is tell the person beside you, I don't need to worry about anything. Go ahead. All right, that's good. Oh, that's enough. That's enough. Back here, back here. So you know now you don't have to worry about anything. But, but the question is, why are you? Why are you anxious? Why do we worry? Well, the way to understand this, folks, is simply by going to uh, the Old Testament, to Genesis chapter 3. I've, you've heard me say this before. Genesis 3 unlocks everything and helps us understand why things are the way they are. And we find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, cared for by God. God provides for them. He meets all their needs. And God says, look, you can eat anything in this garden. It's all yours for food. But one thing you, sh- you got to be careful not to do is do not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on the day that you do that, you're surely going to die. Satan comes along and says to Adam and Eve, God didn't really say not to eat the fruit of that tree, did he? Satan enters into a dialogue with Eve and Adam's standing there. And Satan says to Adam and Eve, hey, you know what? The reason God says that you shouldn't eat that fruit is because he knows that when you do, you become just like God. So Adam and Eve now are thinking this through. They're thinking, you know what? God's holding back on us. How many know today God never holds anything back on you? How many know that? We know that God wants the very, very best for you. When God tells you not to do something, it's not because he's some kind of a cosmic party pooper. It's because he cares about you and he wants the best for you. So God says, don't don't eat that fruit. But they do. You know the story. They eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree, the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes are open. Sin is entered entering in. And watch this, folks. You, you know what happens when sin enters into Adam and Eve. Because before that time, they were sinless. They did not sin. Here's what happened. Pride enters in. Lust enters in. And then a severe self-centeredness. And by the way, folks, we're still struggling with it to this day. Pride, lust, self-centeredness. This is, these are, this is the ravages of sin. But it's worse than that. This is when worry entered in. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to you here, because up until this point, God has been providing for them and meeting their every single need. Look at, look at, so that they don't have to worry about anything. Suddenly, Adam and Eve 
are saying, God, we're going to take life into our own hands. We're going to take matters into our own hands. God, we don't need you. We're going to do this on our own. And what happens now is rather than, tr- having, rather than being able to trust God to meet their needs and provide for them, now they've got to take care of themselves. And listen to me, listen. Every thinking person can do, the, can do arithmetic and think about the possibilities of difficulties or struggles in the future, right? That's why we worry. We think of the way things are going to be. And here's what happens. In order to control our lives, in order to make sure things work out right, we start trying to control the future and control people in our lives so that things turn out right. That's why we worry. Because at some point in the history of humanity, the time of Adam and Eve, we said, we're going to take control of our lives. We're going to be like God, and so therefore we're going to take control of our lives. And that's when worry entered in. Up until the, to the fall, folks, God was graciously caring for Adam and Eve, giving them everything they needed. Adam was all alone, and God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So he gives Adam a beautiful new wife. Needs are met. God gives him a purpose. Adam and Eve, your job is to care for the garden. Your job is to care for and be a steward of the creation. Take care of all the animals, name them, and take care of the garden. Make sure that everything is well tended. He gave him a purpose. He gave them a place to live, a place that was safe, a place that was beautiful beyond anything we can imagine. He gave them food to eat as much as they wanted. And, and here's the best part of all. They had uninterrupted fellowship with God himself. Life never better in the history of mankind than those days before the fall. But folks, after the fall, Adam and Eve had to start taking care of themselves. And that's when worry entered into our human existence, our human experience. Now listen to this, folks. Here's the gospel. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, every one of us. Wouldn't he also give us everything else if he's given us Jesus? Here's here's the thing. God invites us all back to Eden. Back to that place where we can trust God to provide for us and meet our every need. The problem with so many of us is that we have adopted Christianity as our faith, but the fact is is that we don't walk in it. We like the idea of the Christian faith. We like the idea of trusting God. We like the idea of praying and seeing miracles. We like the idea of God meeting our needs. But when it comes right down to it, we'd rather just take care of matters ourselves. Here's the great challenge to every one of us as believers. The challenge is to say, God, I'm willing to surrender my life to you. I'm willing to do it your way and not my way. And so this morning, a question I have for you is this. Are you ready to let God take control in your life? Are you willing to say, God, I'm going to stop worrying. I'm going to leave it all with you. You say, Pastor Allen, how do I do that? Well, I like to say it's simple, but it's really not quite that simple. It comes from a, a lifetime 
committed to saying, God, I'm going to let you be in control of my life. I'm going to stop trying to control my life. I'm going to let you, God, have your way in my life. I'm going to let you direct my life. And what does that mean? It means very simple, that you start believing God and doing what he says. This is what Abraham did. It's what Moses did. It's what Hannah did. It's what David did. It's what people throughout the Old Testament have done. It's what people in the New Testament have done. It's what people have done for the past 2,000 years that have followed Jesus Christ. The question is this, are you prepared to say, God, I'm willing to let you have your way in my life? Would you stand with me, please? Jesus, before he went to the cross, he, uh, he talked about the time just before his return to this earth. If anybody has been keeping an eye on what's happening in the world today, you see the events that are unfolding before us, Russia entering into Syria, ISIS, the decline of the church in the West, the moral decline and the rejection of Christian morality and goes on and on and on. You have to recognize and believe that we're coming to the end as we know it. Here's what Jesus says. Luke 18, 8. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Here's what you and I need to understand today. That if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to actually take this seriously and really follow God, then we've got to learn what it means to put our faith in God and to trust him. We've got to learn what it means to stop taking life into our own hands and start, stop trying to do it our way and start doing it God's way. Well, folks, the only way that's going to happen is if you and I learn what it means, first of all, to hear from God by reading this book. And secondly, by learning to say, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do, not what I want to do. It's that simple. My prayer is that the, is at some point today, before you go to bed, maybe right after the service, is that you fall on your face before God and say, God, forgive me for taking life into my own hands and for not trusting you. Because God wants you to live worry-free. That's what Matthew 6 is all about. You can read that chapter as well. God doesn't want you to be full of worry and fear. He wants you to be anxiety-free. He wants you to be full of peace and joy. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Father, we pray this morning that your will would be done in our lives. We pray, God, that you would fill our hearts with faith to trust you. God, we pray today that you would forgive us for taking life into our own hands or not doing things your way. God, we pray that you would help us to recognize in those moments when we begin to be fearful and full of worry and anxiety, that's a time that we need to cry out to you and allow you to take control. Because, God, you want us to be filled with joy and with peace. And so we thank you, God, that you have a perfect track record from the beginning of recorded history to now. We see, oh God, how you've helped your people through the ages. And what you did for Abraham and for David and for Hannah and for Moses and for the disciples, you'll do for us. 
So give us the courage, give us the grace to trust you and to believe you. We pray it in your name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, God's in control.